a bomb in pop culture, or how the West has changed its portrayal of the atomic bomb through time. Part three, a bomb under Reagan. By the 1970s, the Cold War tensions were beginning to thaw as people grew less worried about nuclear catastrophe than about the war in Vietnam. Then the Soviets moved into Afghanistan, Ronald Reagan took over the White House, and Margaret Thatcher entered number 10. Reagan's policy towards the Soviet Union was simple. We win, they lose. He increased production and brought more nuclear chips onto the table. Could the Soviets compete? Many were terrified. As membership of the campaign for nuclear disarmament soared to an all-time high, songs about the bomb covered the charts. But while 50s pop culture was pro the A-bomb and the 60s reflected a turn against it, by the 80s, pop culture portrayed people's fear of all-out confrontation. It reflected cynicism, panic, and just plain confusion. I could use another one of those. Fear of nuclear destruction wasn't allayed by the UK government's campaign Protect and Survive, which was aimed at getting people ready for the bomb. It had a much more serious tone than the old American favourite, Duck and Cover. But in giving tips on how to choose your fallout room or what to do if you have a dead body in the house, its message was still defiantly trying to be positive. If we're prepared for an attack, we'll be OK. CND campaigners couldn't disagree more and gave the slogan a new twist. The documentary Atomic Cafe scrutinised how media had downplayed the gravity of nuclear destruction throughout the 50s and 60s. Now was a time to get real. A fallout shelter in your basement will give adequate shielding from radioactive fallout. It would be futile, desperately futile, to construct what are called fallout shelters. The graphic novel and film When the Wind Blows follows a sweet couple as they naively fall victim to a nuclear attack. It brought home the haunting reality of death by radiation sickness and the message that humanity was in for a whole other league of war. I'm going to have an early night, James. We could do with a good long rest after that blessed bomb. Oh, yes, yes, it's bound to take it out of you. A thing like that. The catastrophic impact of nuclear war was also much more blatant in the BBC's second significant portrayal of nuclear holocaust. Threads explores the very dark irony that survival of nuclear disaster may be a fate worse than death. The countryside is cold and full of unknown radiation hazards. By now, five to six weeks after the attack, deaths from the effects of fallout are approaching their peak. TV in the US also drew more gritty representations of the nuclear aftermath. In the made-for-TV movie The Day After, a bomb is dropped on Kansas City the film manages to keep American proactive heroism alive by highlighting that the US struck first. They're on their way to Russia. They take about 30 minutes to reach their target. So do theirs, right? Compared to Threads, the day after Dan plays the horror of a city destroyed by nuclear weapons, and it also shows that Americans sure know how to stay positive. What matters is we're alive. Global thermonuclear war. Meanwhile, Hollywood played on the fear that nuclear war could be triggered by accident. In War Games, Matthew Broderick accidentally accesses a US military supercomputer and almost starts a global nuclear catastrophe. The supercomputer calculates the odds of winning such nuclear roulette and has a change of heart. The 
Something the new man in the Kremlin, President Gorbachev, seemed to realize. But the end of the Cold War gave way to a brand new nuclear villain. Thank you.